Hello. The, the beep, that that Skype beep, like I had it running through the board, nearly blew my headphones out. Yeah. All right. Cool, man. So, how are you doing? Just, uh, just got out of ethics class. They're trying to teach us not to be pieces of crap. Oh, well, that's cool. Well, <laughs> yeah. good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it works in the real world. Testing one, two, three on my mic. Hey, everybody, Todd Meisner from the Talking Pictures Podcast. I got a good guest for you today. He's an oldie but a goodie, and actually, actually he's not that old. How, how old are you, Brian? I'm turning 36 next month. Oh, no. See, now the babies grow up. I remember when you were just a bright-eyed young reporter with with visions of of, of amazing stories in your eyes, and, and uh, um, I miss that. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Brian was a reporter here. Uh, when would you leave here? Um, I left in 2009. I was there for five years. Brian's the only reporter who got lit up with me by the publisher for doing something. And we, we stepped onto the hospital grounds unescorted to cover people who were crying after a shooting and we got yelled at for breaking the hospital rules, but we got the picture in the story, didn't we? Yeah, that's that's generally how it always went, you know. <laughs> or you'd come to me like we have this phenomenal photo, and I'll get us the story right away. I'm like, uh, okay. Yep, that, that's the way it worked. Well, Brian was an excellent, excellent reporter for us, and he has gone on uh, to do a, a variety of things, including be an author and a podcaster. Brian, why don't you give me a quick thumbnail sketch of where you've been and what you've been up to? Okay. Um, yeah. So I came to I, the dispatch and the Argus uh, hired me. I got my job offer two weeks before I graduated from Winona State. So I, you know, I was I was employed, which is amazing. Um, and then I was a primarily a cops and courts reporter for the dispatch for five years. Um, I decided to move out to warmer climates uh, out here in California. I uh, couldn't get a job immediately, but eventually I got hired by a media startup and I was covering a lot of health news and everything like that. And, um, yeah, after doing, doing that for a while, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to learn more. So right now I'm, uh, at the university of Berkeley's graduate school of journalism. And this year I am the 2017 IRP student merit fellow. So I get to hang out with, uh, the legendary reporter, uh, Lowell Bergman. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. that, that's pretty awesome. Now, the thing is that you're you're studying multimedia journalism, correct? Um, well, or, or among you, if, other things. Yes. If you come here, you don't have a choice. They teach you how to do everything. So um, the first semester is uh, hardcore training in video and audio photography, investigative reporting, public documents, everything. They want you to be as well-rounded as possible. The, the the idea, since this is a photography podcast, going from the notebook guy, taking your notes and and, and writing your stories, to now you're you're thinking about visuals. How was that transition go for you? Uh, because I saw your video from the Berkeley protests, and you did an amazing job of staying steady, which not even the most experienced photojournalist can do sometimes. No. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's uh, after watching, I, I, I guess, you know, with all the things that are out on the Internet, you get to, you know, you can watch someone shoot a video and be like, why are you, don't shoot vertical? 
don't shoot vertical, you know, do this, just do that. <laughs> so it, maybe it was just frustrating, you know, because I know as soon as I put something, especially tweeting something from the live Berkeley protests, my Twitter's going to light up. So people will, you know, I try to give them less fuel uh, to kind of judge me by. But, um, you know, it's, it's just practice. And the big thing, especially with, uh, you know, trying to learn photography, especially digital, just you know, I can click the shutter a thousand times. And if I get one good photo, I'm pumped. But um, it's just going out and, you know, making mistakes and learning from them. That's that's literally all this job is. And, you know, after doing it for so many years and, um, you know, I'm just I'm trying to get more comfortable with my camera. Um, but, you know, in, in situations where everything's happening all at once, I just, you know, try, try to do my best as I can under pressure. So going into the Berkeley protest, which was, uh, essentially, uh, white nationalists versus counter protesters. Am I correct or not? Um, well, it's uh, unlike in Charlottesville, you know, Charlottesville, they were waving Nazi flags. So it's very clear what their intentions were. Um, in Berkeley, you know, things were planned and the first, the first big protest, um, happened on campus with when Milo was here and didn't show or was canceled. Um, but I, I was there on April 15th when it was clear. It was, it was fighting. It was combat. There were people throwing M80s into crowds and there were smoke bombs and there was all sorts of stuff. This one, I mean, there were, uh, thousands of people there and the, the violence was just orchestra. It was just a small, a small group of the people. But I mean, essentially they were people wearing Trump banners, getting yelled at all day. Um, and then Antifa showed up and just shut it down. And sometimes their methods can get, um, can get a little crazy. So, you know, you have one shove turns into something a lot more, a lot more dangerous very quickly. Did you, was the, the violence that broke out in Charlottesville and I rewatched Vice's video, uh, last night of the car driving into the crowd and the crunching noise is just horrific. Um, not to mention watching people fly every which way, but was the idea that, that Charlottesville escalated very quickly and became deadly, was any of that playing in your head while you were in the crowd shooting? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, when you're, if, if you look at some of the photos and some of the footage of it, you know, there's two people yelling at one another and then they're surrounded by a wall of people. And if you've ever even, you know, been at the front gates of a rock concert, once people start shoving and pushing, you know, it, it gets a little scary. I will say like going, going into this event, knowing, not, not knowing what was going to happen. Um, I was nervous, you know? Um, but these kind of events, like I actually, it's a reason to physically train for Like I made sure, you know, when they announced that rally, I was like, all right, I got to go running every day. I got to make sure, you know, you don't know how long you're going to be out in the 85 degree sun. Um, and just, yeah, when tempers get flaring, it's like everything is just so divisive that things can turn, um, can turn quickly. And yeah, I guess just when doing that, once I hear like a loud noise or something, I like guess it's, it's fight or flight. You know, so it's always assessing stuff. And, I'm, you know, we're, we're very grateful that what happened in Charlottesville has not happened in Berkeley. A lot of times when I've covered things, people start assuming that uh, even though you're wearing a media credential, that they, they assume if you're taking someone's picture, you're against them or vice versa. So did anybody did assume an allegiance during the process of the make it tense or did people just 
are people so used to the media covering these kinds of things that they they just behave and just expect you to take their picture? Some people, yes, um, but there is an issue with uh, Antifa. They really, they really don't want their picture taken, and you know, I didn't, I didn't try to get up in their faces to get their photos just because that's, you know, there's no photo worth getting my my head, you know, my head clobbered with a with a wooden stick. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting because also then you have the the Trump supporters and you have Trump who encourages, you know, oh yeah, just go punch a journalist. It's you know, it's the fun thing to do, or or however he phrases it. But yeah, you kind of have both sides that are anti-media, but then you also have, you know, people that just know they're being recorded, and so kind of all those cameras also fuel it as well. That was my you know? next question. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, if people could sit there and, oh, I want to have a conversation about Trump's policies and we're going to sit in this park and we're going to do it. And then you flood a couple hundred camera lenses and people live streaming from their phones. And, you know, especially when you have people walking around making commentary, just being like, oh, these the tolerant left. And, you know, they're kind of just making these egging on scenarios. But, yeah, the media there. And then you have all the people that weren't there that are trying to pick it apart. Um, and if you you know the the video of Al Letson from Reveal diving on top of a guy, mm-hmm. and that one you know immediately the people some people with an agenda were putting a fake caption on that and saying like look at what these guys did to this guy that was just walking to get groceries. That was not the case. Like the guy the guy that was getting hit was antagonizing the crowd. He was you know. There was no one not throwing punches in that scenario. I, I caught some photos. I got some photos of thing events leading up to that event. I don't. I didn't. I didn't see that actually happen. But it's just you have all these cameras, and then people take that one, that ten second, that five second clip that fits their narrative, and then they spin it around. Um, you know, and uh, Shane Bauer from Mother Jones was the one who captured that, and he's been coming out and saying like, no. No, that's not what happened. This is being taken out of context. This is who this person is. But it's just the way politics are. You know, you have the it's literally a battle between the right and the left and people who aren't there, who aren't witnessing it themselves. It's really unfortunate. I was very impressed with your level of photo coverage from this under difficult circumstances, um, uh, the, where you put yourself, uh, your, uh, your framing, your, you know, I just, I thought you did a really good job. Not everybody, uh, not everybody who transfers from, or, or starts to learn these extra skills actually, actually can do them well. You know, taking a picture and making sure it gets into the camera and out of the camera is one thing, but, the, whatever the events you captured, I was impressed with. So um, I, I, uh, I appreciate that. But, it, you know, you guys have to remember, like I came, I grew up under you and, and, and Herbic. Well, you know, I appreciate there were times that. you would, you would, you would send me out with a camera and you guys did give me like, all right, do you know how to do this? Okay. Here's, this is what we're looking for. You know, we need, make sure you get a vertical profile, make sure you get a horizontal profile. So you guys, you know, you guys, I got a little bit of schooling well, I from you guys. So I appreciate def- that. Definitely helped. Well, you did very well, Grasshopper. But, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think it's great. And talk a little bit about, now, you're not just doing the school thing. You're still doing, you're, 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 you're a jack of all trades. You're also podcasting on a completely different topic than 
the right versus the left. Yeah, although I, I do tend to like get the day's politics onto the podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I started, um, you know me, I've always uh, I've always been a talker. And uh, I was just, you know, the podcasting was coming, like podcasting has really started to blow up. And I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I'm like, well, there's not a, there's, I want to talk, I want to, I live in an area where we have all these pro rollerbladers. You know, I've been a rollerblader since I was a teenager and, you know, there's all this history and it's kind of a thing that's not in the mainstream. So I'm like, well, I kind of want to document it. So, um, yeah, I ended up buying, um, just a USB mic and I had a tablet and we sat down in my friend's garage and we started recording. And, you know, I basically I just ripped off Joe Rogan's format where I'm like, I'm just going to do a, a brief intro and then we're just going to do a long form, unedited conversation. Um, so, you know, if somebody says something, you can hear it in context of the totality of the conversation. We're having. Um, and yeah, I never. And then I just kind of I started, you know, there's great tutorials online and stuff. And I just started learning from my mistakes. But. You know, and I was editing on GarageBand, but then I came to school here at Berkeley and they're like, here's how to hold a mic. Here's what you need. So I started investing in like in better gear. And so now everything's completely portable. We could just set up wherever and I could just set up some microphones and all right, we'll record in your garage or we'll record in my garage. And it's it's fantastic. And the response that I've gotten from people who, you know, whether they still skate or, you know, whether they used to skate, people just, people just love listening to it. So I'm like, all right, if you guys are down, I'll keep recording more episodes. This is, I have fun doing it and people enjoy it. It's great. And tell everybody what it's called. It's the Rocktown podcast. And where did you come down with Rocktown? Where does the title come from? Uh, Rocktown actually started in Rock Island, Illinois. It's actually so Rocktown Rocktown Press is the publishing arm of where I self-publish my books. And then I was like, well, I don't know if I want this to be a specific rollerblading podcast. I want to talk about other things as well. So instead of calling it, you know, Brian's rollerblading podcast, I was like, it's the Rocktown podcast name. And it's still I'm not in Rock Island, Illinois, but, you know, the name will never change. It's straight straight out of Rock Island. You can take the boy out of Rock Island, but you can't take the Rock Island out of the boy. Yeah, not one bit. Yeah, because you used to, you your your formative years here were all spent in the old Argus building, which is oh. uh, which is uh, no longer occupied. Though our nameplate is still on the side of the building, which kind of rubs me the wrong way. If we're not there, then take it off. Um, yeah. Uh, and then we're all in the the dispatch building in Moline uh, for the time being, and we'll see what happens when, if we're, we're the, the plan I believe is to move us to a, a more palatable location, because as you remember the dispatch building, I love this old girl, but her time <laughs> has come, but there's anyway. no, there's no windows. I mean, to, for, for me, when I was, when I was coming to interview, um, you know, I was friends with, uh, then Jenny Butler, and I remember going, walking into the Argus and seeing that gigantic ceiling and those beautiful chandeliers and all the marble. And I figured, I'm like, oh, this must be the sales office because the salespeople always get the nicer office. And I was like, yeah, can I, uh, I'd like, where's the newsroom? And they're like, you're in it. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to work here. It was so gorgeous. It and was, then, yes. We, yeah, it, 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 it was awesome. And then we got moved to the dispatch and I'm like. Oh, you did come no, to the dispatch. 
yeah, there's no windows. And if it's raining, someone turns on the light downstairs for us so we know to bring an umbrella. <laughs> I know. It's Yes. It's And, you know, the funny thing is you go in the lobby downstairs and anybody who comes to the building who does – I mean, if you live in the area and you come into the building, make sure you look at the – the picture of the building when it in its original state, and you look on the west side of the building, which is the library side, the old, uh, the old historic library that's next door, and there's windows on that side of the building. And in the 70s, when they wrapped this building in white brick, all the windows on that side of the building went away, and the newsroom became cloaked in darkness. So that was no no fun. But anyway, people don't want to know about our whiny w- window situation here. But, uh, <laughs> no. So what the thing that that sparked my 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 thought to have you on the podcast that would be a good hook because I wanted to have you on for a while was the, your post on Facebook. Now you covered Hurricane Katrina for us with Andy Costello. Yes. And you had some very poignant things to say about what journalists should do after they're done covering and you can you talk about that yeah um which uh, great the, the greatest side story to that is that the day that we left for to cover hurricane katrina was Andy andy costello last day as an intern so but he was still like oh well I'm just gonna extend it for a little bit um you know we, we were watching everything um on TV and the same thing that's going now. And I have the same feelings that I just, you know, you feel so helpless and you want to help. And we were talking to some of the firefighters and some of the crew. Um, they were actually a sewer crew from Davenport. Like we're just going down to wherever need, whoever needs us. We don't care if it's New Orleans, if it's Mississippi, just whoever needs us, we're going to send out, we're going to answer distress call. And so we got our stuff. We packed, we didn't know what we were getting into. And um, we ended up going down to Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, basically where Katrina just parked herself. And there's supposedly hurricane-proof buildings were ripped from their foundations. Um, you know, and we went down there, and it's it's just it was just a shock. We we luckily had the outside perspective. We didn't see what it was like before it got destroyed. So we just we just saw what that was, and we were down there, and you know, you're, you're talking to people. And they're sitting on the stoop of the house that, you know, there's there's stoop without a house. And you ask them, but why would you live in a hurricane zone? And they're like, look out at that gorgeous sunset. You know, we don't have to worry about a hurricane every day, but this is just the one that, that took us out. And, you know, you're 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 seeing the you're seeing the untold stories. You see all those um, the rest the search and rescue teams put an X on a building, and you start learning how to decipher those like hieroglyphics and you can see the houses where people died and you see their stuff strewn out all over the place. But then you also talk to survivors who are just like, we're alive, we're happy. You know, um, one of the biggest things in that was when the, one of the bars opened. So it was just an opportunity to go in there, experience, let, let the door close behind you and experience a little bit of normal before going back out into everything. And we worked every day for two weeks straight. You know, we Andy and I would be filing photos and stories, you know, I think it was like two, two to three a day. And and then we'd sleep on the floor of this camper. And we did that for two weeks. Um, and then we came back. We're like, OK, our shift's over. There's nothing more we can do here. We're going to head back. And we drove out through like the middle of the night. And I just remember Andy was driving my truck and he woke me up and he's like, Brian, Brian, Brian. I'm like, what's up? What's up? He was like, look, nothing's destroyed we got out past the hurricane's destruction and all of a sudden it was seeing everything back to normal. And it was amazing. And it was just like, Oh my gosh, this is incredible. Um, 
but when you go back and you go back to a, a, an area where that wasn't destroyed, where people's lives are still normal, and just to hear people, you know, the day-to-day complaints we all have, you know, just being like, man, a storm, if a storm took your house right now, you'd be thankful to be alive. But you're alive and you have your house and you're really kind of you're nitpicking everything, you know? Okay, I'm sorry that happened, but that, that, that doesn't matter. Don't dwell on that. Be happy. And so that juxtaposition is all of a sudden seeing everybody who still has everything and just seeing people be unhappy. It was, it was really hard for me. And I didn't, I didn't think much of it, you know? I remember uh, the day we got back, uh, I went on uh, WQAD live and I just – looked like I had, it was, I was just, it was a train wreck. We hadn't had a, a decent shower in so long and everything, but you know, um, all the, all the little things, uh, all the little things with people complaining about stuff really kind of got to me. And I eventually, like I went and sought therapy. I went and talked to someone about it and they're like, you have post-traumatic stress disorder. You saw some things, you know, and then you come back and everything's normal and you don't have that many people who shared in the experience. So, you know, it's not, not to equate it with war, but it's, it's, you know, it's, you go somewhere and everything's destroyed and you come back home and everything's normal. And it's, it's this, the juxtaposition is, is more difficult than I think people initially realize. Do you think people's reaction to your, like you would come back and they would ask you questions that some of their questions might have not seemed insensitive before you left, but then when you get back, you're you're more uh, sensitive to a, a certain kind of question as to like the, the, the question I, we hear people asking all the time and it, I didn't even cover it and it, it, it kind of annoys me is that, well, why didn't they just leave? Yeah. And, and it seems to me that that's a question without perspective. That's a, that's a, you know, they just had the, I think it was the mayor of Houston who was talking like, look, you put, if you have forced an evacuation and all of a sudden you have 2.3 million people on the road, like that's dangerous. Like people get, st- people can get stuck in their car and yeah, people are like, well, why do they even live there? Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? It's like, well, some people are senior citizens and can't move around. Some people are in the hospital. Some people are in jail cells. Um, yeah. And I, I, I guess if anything, it was like, Katrina at the time, they were like, oh, well, this is all President Bush's fault. Like, yeah, that's cool. That statement does not help those people at all. Like, you know, it's the the, the Monday morning quarterbacking on what people should and shouldn't do. And, well, that's their own fault. It's like, are you, are you saying that people deserve to die because they live somewhere? It's like, that's like, yeah, that's really, it's, it's, it just sounds like, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, it's just, you just hear how ignorant people are. And I don't think they mean it. They don't mean to sound that way, but it's like, look, unless, unless you've done it, you know, it's like, uh, somebody that went to war and you, you immediately ask them, did you kill anyone? Just being like, that's, that's not a, that's not a question you ask. The, so now watching the coverage of, uh, of Hurricane Harvey, do you see that the, the media is doing a better or worse job or are they still because there was a clip the other day that I was told about it and I didn't hear it or see it that a CNN reporter, you know, meets somebody as they get off the boat after they've been rescued and it starts very cordial and the person is answering the reporter's questions and then they snap about the camera being in their face and all of a sudden they be like their personality just changed. I was four feet of water to go get them food on the first day. 
Yeah, that's a lot of shit. But y'all sitting here, y'all trying to interview people during their worst times. Like, that's not the smartest thing to do. Like, people Sorry. are really breaking down, and y'all sitting here with cameras. Mm -hmm. And yeah. all the reporter could do the was say they were sorry and then but they kept rolling the, the do you think that the that there are uh, the thing that for me that i always kind of notice in these things that there's always somebody there's a goodly portion of journalists that are there to do a good job and tell a valuable story and then there are those people who are trying to career make yeah. Instead of letting the story come to them and doing a good job and letting that make their career, that they are they are falling all over themselves to make things seem worse than they are. Even though I mean it's hard not to do that with Hurricane Harvey because it's unthinkable, but that, that there are journalists, irresponsible journalists, who are treating people with disrespect, and I find that to be true a lot of different places but have you noticed any of that um yeah I, actually i was just in my ethics class and we were discussing that specific clip um you know i i guess for me i i feel for that woman 100 percent because it's like oh, okay well she's going to be interviewed and she's like i don't want to do this and you know it's it's live. It's the CNN. We have to fill the airtime the whole time. Um, but I also, I watched the expression of that reporter and she was just, you know, cause she has producers, she has people talking into her ear, telling her what to do. Um, and we were talking about, it, and she probably didn't have a producer with her on scene to do pre-interviews to just stop someone and just be like, Hey, is it okay if you talk, we interview? She's like, no, I don't want to be interviewed. Be like, okay, thank you very much. Please get the help you need. We'll, we'll talk, we'll talk to other people. There are plenty other people, affected by this um yeah and i know a lot of people were doing gut reactions and i don't have to do live tv um but when i was down in um you know when i was down in bay st louis and we we're on whatever week i mean it was 90 degrees uh, with 90 percent humidity every day um besides reporting we were also volunteering and helping out and you know whatever we needed to we would fill the fill the hours by actually you know putting down our camera and you know, picking up a shovel if we had to. And um, I just remember I was waiting in line at one of the church um, church lines because uh, a church that came down and they're like, we're going to feed people. Like we went through a tornado. People helped us. So here's some, you know, some some red beans and rice and that kind of stuff to fill your belly. And um, a CNN minivan pulled up and all the reporters were wearing clean clothes and khakis and I'm covered in mud and dirt. And they stopped me and waiting in line like, hey, can we interview you? I'm like, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not a worker. I'm a, I'm a reporter. They're like, Oh my gosh, your local press. It's amazing. Can we interview you? I'm like, no, I'm from Iowa. And they kind of were just like, Oh, you're wasting our time. And then they talked to two people, got in their van and left where the people in there knew that they're like, you're the only, we were the only reporters in that town sticking around and telling the story of that specific town, you know? And I think that was it. You know, it's, it's, it's hard for reporters if they are just, you know, parachuting in to cover a story and then they and then they jump out, you know. Um, I kind of had that feeling when we had the ghost ship fire here, and I was covering one of those like 5 a.m. press conferences. And there's all the people from the big news outlets, and they have their shot staked out. You know, they don't go here. This is mine. This is mine. And I was kind of in my head. I was like, I, I can't wait for you to leave Oakland. I understand you're here and doing your job, but there are some people who who do it better. They do it with more empathy. Yeah, the I my my the national thing that I always think of here was the the great flood uh the the 500 year flood or whatever it was here in the Mississippi which of course seemed like a lot of water at the time. 
um, which is a joke now when you look at what happened in Houston. But the I'm standing yeah. uh, along uh, over on the Davenport side of the river by the government bridge at that bar that was there um, and talking to the guys that are uh, um, manning the pumps to keep this bar from going underwater. And this national photographer walked around the corner in Italian leather shoes because <laughs> having been raised by a guy who designed shoes for a living, I, I can spot expensive shoes on the drop of a hat. And <laughs> I first thing I noticed about him was his shoes. And I looked up at him and he goes, Hey, do you know where I can get some waiters? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure every pair of waiters in the quad cities is gone by now. Cause this is, you know, this flood's been going on for a while and he's like, all right. So he went off and, he took pictures from, he changed his shoes or whatever. And, but it was this kind of parachute in, buy some waders, leave, go down river where the water is a little, you know, going to be the next day. And, and I understand there's a, there's a certain necessity to that. Um, uh, but it is always kind of this, the disconnect and the, the I mean, but I know some reporters that come into town and, and do have empathy, but that there's some that are just, hired guns they come in they drop in they leave and it it i think every local photographer and journalist and reporter thinks the same thing that you just said that i I can't wait till you leave well and you know in iowa the big thing i remember you know uh presidential election season comes around oh lord and i always thought i'm like i'm gonna be a member of the white house press corps and like you know they came in and they're like some of them like, oh, hey, your local media, can I ask you a couple questions just on like where to eat, where to get around? Like, I would love to be hospitable to you. You're an amazing person. I would love. And then there are the people that are just like, oh, your local press, like whatever. You're not going to help me in any way. Just being like, now I'm not. Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's even being here in journalism school. There's a lot of people that are like, you know, I want to write for National Geographic or I want to go. I want to go do these big things and write about these national issues. And I'm still the guy. I'm just like, I am a straight up local reporter at heart. I want to cover the community I live in. I want to keep an eye on, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to some city council meetings to make sure they're not trying anything, you know, sketchy. And, you know, just that ability of just being like, you know, hi, elected officials. Every, I know everyone in the room. You know, you know, when I ask something, you need to give it to me, blah, blah, blah. Like that kind of, I really, I really dig that. Like it's, that's who I am. I, I think I couldn't agree with you more, and, and I, it m- makes my heart sing to hear you talk like that because I think that, that's a, that the, the, it's a very admirable thing to want to tell your community story. And when we run out of people that want to tell the community story, then those people who will do harm will run amok. So. Yeah. Yeah, and it's always every every election season. I'm just like, let's dig into those documents. Yeah, exactly. the um, The next stage for you, you oh, well. First of all, let me say congratulations on getting married. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's uh, we're approaching you know the big the big two years. <laughs> I I think that's awesome. I think that it's awesome that Brian Kranz is married. Uh, just just uh, just talking one. I married up. She's amazing. I did the um, same thing. But her dad is a forder, former photojournalist turned journalism professor. So meeting the in-laws was so easy. <laughs> you have something to talk about. Oh, immediately. And yeah. he critiques every single one of my photos. Well, that's, that's as, as so he should. 
as he should. That's right. I will get. I will get better. That, well, I, I I've seen it. I've watched it since you've left here. Social media has been great for some of these these kinds of things for people who you liked when they were here, and you stay. You, it allows you to stay in contact with them and then follow their progress and interact with them and then interview them on the podcast. I, that, for these are the reasons social media, I enjoy social media it's when it becomes people trying to humiliate other people and trying to make people feel bad, then I, I withdraw, but I do the social media should be social, not antisocial. So, yeah. um, Anyway, so yeah, what's the what's br- the brag about brag about your accomplishments? Don't bring other people down or feel good about yourself. It's I, the it's the basics. Exactly. Just like in real life. Yeah, you behave the way you would in front of somebody. Uh huh. So what's the next step? You're you're done with school in 2018. Mm hmm. And I'll then, be... and then what do you think you're going to do? More local um, reporting, local reporting yeah. there. Um. Well, my uh, my wife's a middle school principal. Um, so I, I'm not gonna be like, Hey, pick up, uh, stop what you're doing here. And let's I, I got a job in Poughkeepsie making 30 grand a year. That's not, um, Poughkeepsie. I really, I really like the Bay area. I mean, it is a very expensive place to live. So we have to think logistically, but there's some great opportunities and outlets out here. Um, you know, I have a foot in the door with the investigative reporting program. We also have the center for investigative reporting here. Um, I interned with the East Bay Express over the summer, and they're a fantastic free weekly paper. Um, they're, they're pretty spunky. Um, the reporters know what they're doing. Um, you know, it's just going to be when I get out of school, who's hiring? So Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, even if I, even if I end up uh, freelancing and stuff like that, you know, I, I know the kind of reporting I want to do, the – the roundup daily reporting I, that was best that I'm very glad I did that when I was 22. Um, but I don't know if I have the stamina to do that again, but if, you know, if somebody's like, Hey, we need a reporter. I'm like, how are you doing? I would love to do that. What if in circling back to the Berkeley thing that it, it made me look when I, what advice would you give, um, a first time protest attender as a journalist? What are the, what are the do's and don'ts? Um, well, number one, buy a camelback and fill it up with water and keep it with you. Um, the police confiscate water bottles from people, um, cause they can be thrown. Um, but you're going to be wanting to drink in water cause you're going to be in the sun all day. Um, I, I guess there's, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of yelling. And, you know, when you see people running towards, it's, you know, being a photographer is counterproductive. You see somebody r- running towards something, normally like, okay, I need to run in the opposite direction because then that's that's where the, the trouble is going to be and I need to stay away from it. And me as a photographer, I'm like, okay, I need to run to get in front of that so I can take a photo. So, um, yeah, if you've, um, you know, and I, I guess think about, you know, if, if you're going to go to one of these protests and there were so many people in Berkeley, everybody talks about the violence, but there's so many people, there were dancing, there were kids events, you know, there were just messages of hope and peace and love and togetherness. And, you know, everybody, Hey, we can all agree that Nazis are bad, right? Yes. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> That's one thing we all have in common forever. Um, so yeah, stick to that. But, you know, if I, I guess if you want to attend the attend um one of these protests wearing all black and you know bent on doing some damage um maybe don't because you know when you destroy all that stuff some of it has to be fixed and 
you know, sooner or later, I, I understand, you know, revolutions aren't always peaceful. Um, but you can get hurt like there. It's not it's not some online meme war. It's not Twitter. It's the real world. And things hurt. I had uh, one of my coworkers who got blasted real, real nicely in the ass with pepper spray, and that hurt. So, be be realistic about your expectations. Do you think that the one thing that has been a trend moving forward in the in the advent of digital photography is that big events like this not only attract the national media, but they attract journalism students on hiatus who are looking to score pictures. Does that, um, does, does that help the situation or hurt the situation or neither? Um, you know, I, I guess we, we can judge events as they happen or, but you know, it's like, uh, you don't know, you might not know for 10 years on what side of history, uh, if you're on the right side or the wrong side, but, you know, and there are a lot of kids that are here and they need clips and they need experience. And all of a sudden there's these big national events that are getting things. I don't blame them for going right. to it. I mean, I was one of them. I took my camera. I did not have um, – I've last two times I was shooting for a specific media outlet. This time I was not. Um, but it's an important time in history, um, especially if you're a UC Berkeley student. So I, I, I don't blame them for going out. Um, last year we did have one of our photographer, photography students, um, he got hurt and he got his gear stolen. Um, so, you know, it's, I guess if you're going to go out, you're kind of signing a waiver. Um, but yeah, just, just, in, just if, if they are going out, um, just, you know, stick together in a group and know when you're done, even if the event's not done, but if you're tired or you're scared, go. Like if you're, if you don't have to be there, if you're not just, just go home, you know, Go if do whatever you need to do, but don't be afraid to take that moment and be like, "This is too much to, for me. I'm over my head. I need to leave." Don't be afraid. No one's no one's going to think less of you. I couldn't agree with you more. Well, Brian, this has been an excellent podcast interview because I talked very little and you told good stories, so that made for a very good podcast. Less of me, more of you. Yeah, I try to remind myself of that on my own podcast. <laughs> Well, it was awesome catching up with you, and I'm sure that the the people who still remember you in this community who listen to us uh, will be excited about getting the update on you. I surprised one person today in the newsroom that to, to, when I told them you were married. They're like, oh, my God, Brian Kranz got married? And I, <laughs> I don't know how you should feel about that, the fact that people are surprised you got married, but uh, it's, they were happy for you nonetheless. So. Um, I think you're doing great work and, and, um, we, we are very proud of our alumni who go on and do good work. And we are very proud of you here at the dispatch in the Rock Island Argus. That, I mean, that, that means a lot cause you guys were, you know, you got me fresh out of school. You put up with a, put up with a lot of my, uh, my, my adjusting to real life. And so probably, <laughs> probably, probably got the worst of me, but I appreciate it. You made it work. Yeah, that's, well, I don't know about the worst of you, but I do remember some of your young moments, but that's okay. Yeah. You grew, you, you, you growed up good boy. So I'm trying and now, I'm not, now they got me, you know, I'm trying to help lead new students. So I'm just like, all right, let me just dump all of my mistakes on you. So you just try to learn from those. Awesome, mm -hmm. man. Thanks very much. Don't hang up, but I'm going to sign off from this. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We've had Brian Kranz, uh, former Dispatch Argus uh, reporter turned multimedia journalist and uh, master's student, uh, podcaster and author. 
So uh, thanks very much, Brian. We'll uh, catch you on your next big protest or the next time you've got something awesome to talk about. Fantastic. Thanks for having me, Todd. All right. Thanks. The Talking Pictures podcast is produced by Todd Meisner with help from Todd Welvert, Meg McLaughlin, Brian Achenbach, and Gary Crambeck. With a special thanks to Laura Frames, Randy Fisk, and Laura Anderson-Shaw. The music was provided by Kevin McLeod at www.incomputech.com. To see some of the photos and videos discussed in our podcast, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog at talkingpicturespodcast.blogspot.com. Make sure you never miss a podcast by subscribing to the Talking Pictures Podcast on iTunes or Podbean.